2. Guidance equals listening to God. The idea here is that God communicates directly with us, and we need to listen to Him. He may speak through a still, small voice in our heads, or through dreams, or sometimes even audibly. Problem is, for how many of of us is this our daily experience? I hear people talking all the time on Christian radio, and even preachers. I heard it last week when I went to this pastor's encouragement retreat. I heard this pastor saying, God spoke to me. I guarantee you, if I went up to him and I said, did God speak to you audibly? He'd say, no. Well, well, then stop speaking like that, because it's confusing. Because God doesn't normally... He has never spoken to me audibly. Uh, I know that he has at times in the Bible done that, but that is not normal for the Christian life. And while it's not impossible for God to speak audibly or to lead us through impressions or a dream, this is not the way God usually operates. And most importantly, brothers and sisters, we are never instructed to seek God's guidance this way in Scripture. We're never counseled to do that. Which leads to theory number three. Guidance equals wisdom. In other words, the normal way God guides us is by making us wise. He gives us insight through his word, through prayer, through the counsel of others, and that equips us to make wise choices. Now, let me just say, the Bible's teaching aligns to the third theory of guidance that I've just mentioned to you. Restful decision-making is the decision-making of wisdom. It's not the decision-making that depends on something God doesn't normally do, theory number two. And it's not the anxious decision-making of hunting down an elusive God's will, theory number one. So we want you to see through this course of course seminars is that God usually guides us through his word, and he does that by equipping us with wisdom and knowledge of how we should live our daily lives. Some of the key passages in this are Hebrews 1, Hebrews 4.12, Hebrews 2, uh, Proverbs 2, 1-6. Hebrews talks about how God speaks to us today through his son and through his word, Proverbs teaches us that we're to seek after wisdom. We'll get more into all of this in the weeks ahead, but for now, I just want to emphasize to you that when we seek God's guidance, we should not expect his audible voice riding in the sky or a talking donkey. I once talked to a commercial uh, real estate broker, and he said, I was trying to figure out which commercial real estate firm to go to, and I saw a cloud in the sky that looked like a balloon, and I thought, that's the Remax balloon. God's will for me is to go to work at Remax. Um, I don't think that's how God guides us when we're seeking to make wise decisions, brothers and sisters. Um, any questions so far? Any questions so far? Uh, yes. Well, let me just tell you them. Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1, Hebrews 4.12. Proverbs 2.1-6. Hebrews about God speaking to us through his Son and through his word. Proverbs about us seeking after wisdom. Okay, I've given you problems with the first two theories of guidance, but there is a problem with the third as well, and that is indwelling sin (laughs) or remaining sin. If biblical guidance essentially comes down to wisdom, then indwelling sin is a massive problem because it colors all that we do and all that we think. And the Bible is just riddled with examples of how sin blinds us and keeps us from making wise decisions. Just think about David's sin when he lusted after Bathsheba, right? Think about uh, giving into temptations. Those giving into that temptation led him to commit adultery and later murder. Uh, I think there are three basic categories of decisions, and think about how sin challenges our abilities to make them well. 
Okay. By the way, this is coming out of a book, uh, Guidance and the Voice of God by Peter, uh, by Jensen and Payne. So three, three basic categories of decisions, and think about how sin affects our ability in these categories to make decisions well. Uh, there are decisions of righteousness. Okay. Um, by righteousness, I mean doing what God has told us to do and not doing what he has prohibited. Okay, so there's just kind of no debating here. You know, God's forbidden this, and he's not forbidden this. This is a decision of righteousness. This is forbidden. I shouldn't do it. <laughs> but we all know from experience that even here, where God's guidance is most clear, we disobey. In our sinfulness, we turn what is black and white into gray, or we just rebel because we believe sin instead of God, and we want sin instead of God at particular moments, right? So sin can blind us even in decisions of righteousness that are uber clear. Number two, there's decisions of judgment. Many decisions in life are not legitimately black and white. This is where we have Christian liberty, and this is where we need to exercise good judgment. So, questions like, where do I live? Where do I go to school? What do I do for a living? How much life insurance should I buy? How much of my monthly income should I set aside for savings or for the down payment for my house that I'm thinking about or for retirement or all of those things? Um, but even in those areas of Christian liberty, which we do have Christian liberty in those areas, there's not a defined right and wrong, but even in those areas of Christian liberty, our motives and our perceptions can be distorted by sin and the counsel we receive from friends can be distorted by sin. Okay? Okay, so decisions of righteousness, decisions of uh, judgment. Also think about decisions of triviality. In other words, some decisions just don't matter all that much. You know? But even here, indwelling sin is our enemy because of our tendency to confuse trivial matters with big decisions and vice versa. Have you ever just met somebody that's just like uber stressed out about honestly what's something very, very trivial and they're making it very, very big? It's like, you know, brother or sister, that's just not a big deal. You know, you could just, don't worry about it. Somebody's laughing in the back. Um, you only laugh if it applies to you. So I hope you laugh. Uh, I hope you laugh. I'm laughing in my own heart as well. So, if it's true that God normally guides us through wisdom, how can we make good decisions as Christians if our understanding of wisdom is warped by sin? The good news of the Bible is that even though we're sinners, God truly does guide us. Proverbs 16.33 says that the lot is cast, but every decision is from the Lord. Philippians 4.19 says God promises to meet all our needs in Christ. Matthew 10.30 says he knows every hair on your head. So God is in control, God has a plan for us, and God cares about us, even in the most minute details of our lives, and that is amazing. And it is even more amazing when you consider who we are in respect to God's vast creation. In his book, Step by Step, uh, James Petty tells us that the universe is 12 billion light years across. He points out that there is a galaxy for every grain of sand on the earth, and that doesn't even include the realms of heaven. And yet Proverbs 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Just think about this for just one second. We are less than the point of a pin in the vast universe. Our perspectives are marred by sin, and yet we serve a merciful, all-powerful God who knows everything about us, who has ordained every day of our lives, and who will guide us and provide for us according to the power of his will. 
That is encouraging. Okay? So, how does this work? If we shouldn't expect God to speak audibly, BJ, Mary, Kristen, and not Jane, if we don't expect him to speak audibly, and I am arguing that you should not, uh, then we should distrust some of our basic instincts. And if we should distrust some of our basic instincts because of sin, how should we make decisions as Christians? Okay, how should we make decisions as Christians? All right, well, I'm going to reference a book by James Petty. He suggests seven steps that you'll see on your handout. I want to emphasize up front, these aren't hard and fast rules. I don't mean to get you tangled up into a complicated process. Well, I must do this, and then I must do this, and then I must do this, and if I skip this, then I need to go back and I do this. And, oh, goodness, am I now outside the will of God? Okay, I don't, I'm not trying to do that. I think these are principles, and I think these principles can be helpful. So I'm going to run through each of them. And then, as I said before, we're just going to double-click and zoom in on several of them as we move through the rest of the class. Number one is consecration. So we're thinking about big decisions here. Number one is consecration. What does it mean to consecrate our decision? Well, it means we need to understand ourselves and God uh, and how our responsibility relates to his providence. We're going to spend the next three weeks fleshing uh, out this context for decision-making. Next week, we're going to consider God's goals for our decisions, God's will in week three, and then our goals and our decisions. That's week four. I just want you to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, there's a note there in your handout, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Thinking about consecration. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is what we want as Christians, to offer our lives as living sacrifices. So that means our jobs, our talents, our money, our marriages, our parenting, all of it. We want to offer all of it to God, not to earn his favor, but as an overflow of, uh, of response to his merciful love. We want to offer our lives to God, and we want to be transformed into his image, not the image of the world. And amazingly, Paul says that it is then where you will be able to test and approve what the will of God is. It is after you have, you have been, it is as you are being transformed in the image of God, saying no to the world, saying no to yourself, giving yourself to God in your, in your entire daily lives. It is then when you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So, we want to turn from the world and its desires. We want to turn from ourselves and our desires. We want to lay everything before God. We don't want to hold anything back. Job, spouse, kids, money, our desire for security, power, influence, sexual pleasure, hobbies, sports, entertainment, friends, fill in the blank, nothing. Jesus puts it succinctly like this in Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Seeking God's guidance, you, you need to hear this, seeking God's guidance is not about using him to attain our own personal view of success. 
we consecrate our decisions to Him, and our number one desire in all of our decisions is to love and serve and enjoy God. Right? So we don't make decisions based upon what we think is going to make us want to say. We make decisions based upon what's faithful and right. Okay? So, over the next three weeks, we're going to dig more deeply and practically into what that looks like to have a God-centered, God-sized view for seeking guidance. So, number, step number one is consecration. Uh, the next step is to gather information. Gather information. Uh, the most important piece of information to collect is the answer to a very, very simple question. If you're thinking about big decisions. Is one path of my decision, if I'm considering two paths, is one path prohibited by God? Okay, if so, I'm interested in marrying a non-Christian, prohibited by God. You know, decision made, done, over. You know, we know what we have to do. But of course you know this, oftentimes the answer is no. There's not one particular path that's clearly, you know, marked out as, as, as no. Both options are permissible for the Christian. Should I marry Christian, Kristen or Jane? By the way, there was no Jane in my life, I want you to know that. <laughs> Her, it was an, her name was something else. Um, should I? I, I just that totally distracted the whole place. I'll, I'll tell you that story later. Should I go to business school or trade school? Should I move to Fairfax or Milton? You know, how much should I shave? Proverbs eighteen seventeen teaches us the importance of gathering information about our decision. Proverbs eighteen seventeen says, "The one who states his case first seems right." until the other comes out and examines him. So there's information that's needed there, an encouragement to gather information about the decision. And in Romans 12.3, Paul encourages us to gather information on ourselves. He says, for, the, for by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Now, you may think that gathering information is crass and unspiritual and not very fancy. But remember, brothers and sisters, God's normal means of guidance is the wisdom that he gives us. And so collecting information is such an important part of Christian decision making. Now, I just want to be practical for just a second. What does gathering information look like? Well, if it comes to something like changing jobs, it looks like really, really basic stuff, you know. Am I qualified for this job? Will this job be a better job than my current one financially for my family? Does this job allow me to prioritize my family and my church? If this job requires for me to move, have I looked to make sure there are healthy churches in the area that my family and I can plug into? Questions like that, right? Makes total sense. It's really common sense, but it's very, very important for us to do that. Now, I say that. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're done when we've gathered information, though. Uh, the next step would be supplication. Because we're finite beings who are totally dependent on God, the next step, really the daily step, is to pray. Because we know that God is in control of all things, we must ask God for guidance, and Scripture provides us specific examples of this. Proverbs 25, 5. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Luke 11:13 If you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give the holy spirit to those who ask him And you know this too the bible reminds us that we should persist in prayer we should persist in prayer 
Uh, remember Jesus' story of the persistent widow in Luke 18. She got justice from an unjust judge simply by being persistent. How much more will a good God answer our prayers if we persist in praying to him? So let me just pause for a second. Think about the last big decisions you made. Think about the last big decisions that you made. Did you pray every day about that decision? And did you persist in prayer? Or did you pray for three days and then you stopped? Or prayed for a week and then you stopped? Uh, Did you persist in prayer and did you persist in prayer uh, for the long haul? Okay? It's an important thing. Um, And it's also an important thing, just practically speaking, to ask the question, well, what do I pray for? I mean, maybe you're like, okay, I'll pray about this, but what should I be praying for when I'm praying about this big decision? Well, let me just give you a few suggestions, okay? Pray for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God to reveal motives in your heart for why you want to make this decision, and if your motives are good and godly. Right? Pray for God to reveal sin to you. Search me and know me, O God, and is there, is there any way in me uh, that is offensive and lead me in the way everlasting? Pray, pray prayers like that. Uh, pray prayers asking God to sanctify your desires. Help me, help me to want to glorify you in, in this big decision more than I want, you know, for whatever it is. Right? Um, so those are things that you can pray for yourself. But I would suggest not only that you pray, but that you would seek the counsel of wisdom from others. Okay, this is huge. Brothers and sisters, the Bible just tells us to get advice from others. Not that the words that they speak are revealed words of God, but it's part of wisdom to seek advice from people other than yourself. What did the Proverbs say? A man thinks he's right in his own eyes until he goes to his neighbor, and his neighbor you know, inquires of him and helps him see what's going on. Uh, Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool seems right to him. So the way of a fool... Seems right to him. I think I have the right path. (laughs) But a wise man listens to advice. Uh, Pride, Proverbs 13.10. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Uh, Proverbs 15.22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So let me just encourage you, if you're thinking about making a big decision, do not... And here's what we do oftentimes... Um, we think about something for months and months and months and we build our case and we are thoroughly convinced about our case and then we set up one coffee with a brother or sister but our decision's already made. <laughs> you, you know, you, you're, you're, and in fact, you, you set up coffee with a brother or sister that you know you think is going to agree with you, right? You don't set up bro- coffee with a brother or sister you think is going to disagree with you about this plan. I'm saying, please don't, that's, that's, not, that's not helpful for you. Please don't spend months and months and months planning and thinking and strategizing and working it through in your own head and then bring in somebody at the back end. You should bring in trusted brothers and sisters from the very front end. Here's what I'm thinking about. Get together as couples if you're married. If you're not, you know, obviously don't. Here's what I'm thinking about. Here's the decision we're considering making. Do you... This is why we think it's a good idea. This is why I think it's a good idea. Help me see where I'm missing things. Do you think this is a good idea? Do you think I'm crazy? Um, What would you encourage me to think about? How would you encourage me to think through this? Just help me think about it, right? that's, That's going into a conversation with open hands, and you want help, and you recognize that your brothers and sisters here at church can help you, okay? So... 
I mean, that does get to humility, though, okay? Let me just say, that gets to humility. Uh, Heeding, seeking advice from others requires humility. We need humility to seek advice. We need humility to heed advice. We need humility to listen to advice when it goes against what we want. And we need humility to ask people we suspect might even disagree with us. So we're going to talk much more about counsel in the closing weeks of the class But let me just give you some quick advice about asking counsel. Number one, ask believing, mature Christians who you know, know and love you. I want to encourage you also to develop relationships that will come into play in the midst of guidance. So, you know, ask me, ask the other elders, ask home group leaders, ask mature brothers or sisters that you trust and respect. Some of you have come to me in in the not-so-distant past and told me about a big decision. I said, fantastic, I'm going to be praying for you about this. What wisdom have you gotten from other brothers and sisters in the congregation? Well, I really haven't gotten any. Okay, well, who have you asked for their advice? Well, I really haven't asked somebody. Okay, well, I want to encourage you to go and ask them. Like, here's so-and-so. You could go talk to that person. I think that person would be a good stage of life to, to give you some advice. Typically, by the way, just pick somebody that's one step above you in relation to spiritual maturity, stage of life, things like this. So sometimes when Kristen and I just can't see our way clear on parenting one of our kids, although they're glorious and wonderful and excellent and have no problems in the universe, um, <laughs> When we can't see our way clear on something, I get with, I get with uh, Tim and Liz. Chris and I will sit down with Tim and Liz. We'll just say, help us think through this. I think we're being idiots. Um, help me see where I'm being an idiot. And then oftentimes they're really encouraging. And they're like, you're not being an idiot. You're doing a great job. Parenting is hard. Here's a couple of thoughts for you. Oh, that's so good. Thank you. So as opposed to just being all tied up in knots about me, you know, make, you know, how am I, ah, just get counsel. Um, so get counsel from somebody who's just a step ahead of you in certain realms, trusted, mature brothers and sisters. So talk to me, talk to home group leaders, talk to mature brothers and sisters that you trust and respect. What about getting advice from non-Christians? That's a good question. God made non-Christians in his image and their counsel may often be wise, but whether or not you should seek their counsel depends on what advice you're looking for and you need to consider the advice that they give, you need to consider their worldview, and you need to filter everything they're telling you through the revealed will of God through his word. I will oftentimes still call my dad and talk to him about big things. Um, just because I want to know my dad's perspective. He's my dad. He loves me. He's lived a lot of life. Now, sometimes I don't take his advice because he has a totally different worldview than mine. He's not a Christian. But I, want to, but I still want to see what he thinks because just because he's Christian, not a Christian, doesn't mean he doesn't have wisdom, right? He's got some wisdom. So, next up, meditation. Biblical meditation is nothing more than the process of thoughtfully and deliberately applying God's word to our lives. It doesn't have anything to do with sitting in the lotus position holding your hands. Okay? Uh, Joshua 1.8 says, don't let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Meditation is turning something around and over in your mind. It is mulling over God's word. It is taking a serious look at it. It is thinking and praying about it and asking God to help us apply it to our lives. Honestly, meditation is what happens at every home group as we think together about a passage of scripture and how it applies to our lives. We do it every week at Homebrew. Now, a couple of pitfalls here. Meditation is not seeking a euphoric state or secret insights. Okay? Um, meditation is also not worrying. Uh, rather, it's fighting anxiety with God's word. And meditation is also not fantasizing 
wishing for better circumstances than what you have. Now, avoiding meditation can lead to haste in decision-making. Okay? We want to go with our gut. We've got a gut feel on this. Okay? Our immediate impressions are important, but they are not the whole part of the story. In other words, don't skip too fast over the meditation stage, especially if it's an important decision. Okay? And we can get stuck here too. So that's the other side of the donkey you don't want to fall off on. You could get stuck in meditation when the real problem is actually just fear of making a decision. So don't get stuck in meditation. Have you ever heard of paralysis by analysis? Right? So don't, don't get stuck there either. Okay? Now, what does meditation look like? So just practically for me, meditation may come in the form of journaling or an extended time in prayer as I consider what Scripture says, the advice of others, the information gathered, and other factors. There is no set way to do this, so find whatever is effective for you to chew on God's Word, the principles and priorities that He lays out as applied to this situation, the information that you have, the counsel that you've received, thinking through your own motivations in regards to this big decision. Find a way to just think about all those things and let them simmer. You know how when you got some soup in the pot, you just need to let it simmer. You need to let all those things mix together. And then the flavors all come together so nicely over time. I know the cooks are like, yeah. Um, I don't know how to make a good soup at all, but I know that's true. Okay? Um, so let things, let all those things simmer. And as you let them simmer, they're going to come together and you're going to get, you know, th- that's what meditation is for. Okay. Now, uh, finally... Uh, you got to make a call, okay? It's decision time, okay? Uh, there's a time to pray, there's a time to consult, there's a time to gather information, but there is also a time to decide. Sometimes this is forced upon us, and sometimes we just must decide and get on with living the Christian life and trusting God with the results. Sometimes we are asked to make decisions, even large ones, based on less information or less confidence than we'd like, Brothers and sisters, we need to remember also uh, that God is sovereign and God loves us. He is about the business of spiritual growth and maturity. And sometimes we just simply need to make a decision to the best of our ability and trust him for what happens. He will use what happens for our good. He will use the difficulty of the decision for our good. I think the title of Kevin DeYoung's book on guidance sums it up well. Just do something. Okay? Just do something. Now, it might be easy to think that avoiding a decision will be less risky, but the exact opposite is true. Avoiding decisions is usually not safe, nor is it good, because a risk-free life doesn't exist, and we really have no business trying to create it. Okay? A strong trust in God's power... A strong trust in God's goodness, a strong trust that God guides us through real and everyday wisdom informed by his word, prayer, meditation, and the counsel of others, a strong trust in that frees you up to make confident decisions, not fearing that you're outside the will of God, quote unquote, as though it's a secret, mysterious will that you're going to really mess up. Uh, You're not. He just wants you to, to use wisdom in making decisions and then it's trust God love God and do what you think is best and trust him for the results it's so freeing okay 
It is so freeing. Boldness and confidence should be the mark of godly decision making. Boldness and confidence should be the mark of godly decision making. So, I just want to kind of overview, practically speaking then, how do we make a big decision? Uh, I, so personally, I follow something of the steps outlined above, although not mechanically. Um, in other words, by mechanically, I mean it's not, well, step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, step six. God didn't make me as an, as an engineer. I'm grateful for the ones that he did. Um, I gather information. I pray. I consult with trusted brothers and sisters. If it's a big decision, like leaving commercial real estate to go to seminary, I meditate on it, and I do not make that decision quickly. Uh, and then sometimes I find it helpful to write down what I've learned through the steps in the process. I just, I just start to write it all out. When you write things out, honestly, it forces you to get clarity. It kind of forces you out of your emotions and forces you into facts and data and information that you can then in turn just think about more. So I'll write down, what information have I gathered about the decision, about its pros and its cons? Uh, is there any sin in my life that may be blinding me? How have my elders and friends, uh, other pastors that I know and trust, how have they advised me? Are there any passages of Scripture that specifically apply to this situation at hand? I often even just list out um, you know, pros and cons. Uh, and because I'm married, I always discuss big decisions with my wife before making a final decision. I once counseled a brother that had no idea why his marriage was in such bad shape and his wife was so frustrated with him that he had gone to an interview out of state that would require them to move out of state and had not talked to his wife about it beforehand. You should laugh or something. You, you should know that's bad. Do you know that's bad? Everybody knows that's bad, right? That's really bad. Don't do that. Um, okay, thank you. Everybody who thinks that's bad, raise your hand. I just want to make sure. Okay. Um, okay. We'll be talking to you later if you didn't raise your hand. Um, <laughs> lastly, I want to talk about expectations. What should we expect of our decisions? What should we expect of our decisions? That if we make the right decision, everything will work out as we want? Uh, no. <laughs> we need to have... Oh, oh, and, and, and that's good, because have you ever made a decision, things didn't go well, and then you're like, oh man, I just totally trashed this. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily at all. We need to have faith that God is doing good even when our decisions seem to fail or not achieve the results that we hope they would achieve. Okay? Worldly decision-making is obsessed with whether or not we'll achieve the outcome hoped for. Will this new job make me happy? Will this spouse make me happy? Will this investment secure my retirement? It is obsessed with prospects of either failure or success, but biblical decision-making is obsessed with faithfulness. In light of eternity... Will my decision prove to have been that of a faithful steward of my time, money, and the relationships that God has given me? It takes confidence in God that nothing can thwart his obsession with always doing what is best. That's the faith that makes us restful decision-making. And restful decision-making is found based upon the promise of Romans 8.28. You all know this verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that for those who love God, 
all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now please don't confuse those words. The Bible does not say that every decision we make will work out as we hope if we have enough faith or something like that. It says that God works all things together for our good. So, we make decisions boldly and we trust God for the rest. The next six weeks, we'll unpack the theology and application of what we've talked about today. Next week, we're going to look at the doctrine of God's providence. That's hugely important as we think about decision-making, God's providence. Weeks three and four will be on God's will and our faithfulness. Our fifth and sixth class will determine the tools we use to work through these steps, prayer, scripture, counsel, feelings, circumstances. And then we're going to end with a panel in week seven where you can hear about some decision-making experiences of different brothers and sisters here at Redeeming Grace Church. So I hope you will come back. We have got five minutes to field questions. Um, So questions. What questions do you have or thoughts? Now we've got the uh, we've we've carefully planned this out so that there is coffee before core seminars <laughs> and coffee after core seminars. So brothers and sisters, you need to caffeinate. <laughs> yes, Colleen. I don't think that we have recorded this. You have recorded this. You're really okay. So I need to be really careful. Got it. Um, whenever we had seminary classes, yeah, whenever we had seminary classes, uh, the professors requested that we ask them if we could record it, um, because things could, yeah, you could just say things in moments that you don't really want. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll stop there. Um, so yes, we'll record it. And if you want a copy of the recording, feel free to reach out. Okay. Yes. You know when God is speaking to you when he, uh, through his word. Um, I, I, I wouldn't counsel you to seek his voice through impressions or feelings. Our feelings uh, uh, are very fickle, and they can be in line with God's word or not in line with God's word. The most important thing you need to do is just make sure that your uh, decisions are uh, in keeping with the priorities of God's word. God's word is his full and final and, uh, and, and completely... Um, uh, completely necessary covers all either by either by explicit scripture or by implication covers all of the realms of our lives. So um, so really, you just need to seek to grow in understanding God's word, and that's how He speaks to you. Josiah. Correct. But we have moved outside. Hebrews tells us that today He has spoken fully and finally through His Son which has been revealed in the canon of Scripture. So we're simply outside the time of Old Testament revelation where God was communicating his will through direct, audible, boom, thus says. Uh, we have, he has spoken, boom, thus says, and we have it, and we have it here. So it's been a shift in the history of redemption. Good questions. Other questions? Chris? Yeah. Yeah, and my sister's a strong believer, but she, I don't know if she's speaking for herself or her daughter, but she's saying how some things have become fuzzy and gray in our society, and I think 
black and white and start seeing it as gray. We, we turn it into gray because we want it to be gray. Because sometimes we want to do what we want to do, even if God's word is really clear about it. Yeah. Not sure if I understand the question, brother. Um, well, point blank, I'm point where I'm uh, in Vermont. Okay. Sure. And I'm. That's the only thing right now. Well, not really, because that is one of the major things that's causing me to think about how selfish I'm being It's an honest question. Yeah, it's an honest question. I think that's best worked out in conversations. I think that's best worked out in conversations. Let me close this in prayer. See, and get up and visit and enjoy one another's company. Um, and then in 15 minutes we'll start our morning service. By the way, thanks so much just for uh, coming. Uh, and we do hope and pray that this is a time that just builds up your love for God, your understanding of God, and your understanding of how to live out the Christian life. So, uh, again, we're just going to try this for the school year, see how things go, go from there. So recognize it's a significant change for us, for our congregation, and for how we do things. So thanks for your flexibility and for following along. And I pray that it also uh, increases your hunger for God's Word and your desire to understand God's Word, um, both through core seminars and through the series on, in the Torah that we're going to do. Uh, which is going to start today. So let me pray for us uh, and enjoy one another's company. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace to us in Jesus Christ and the fact that you reveal yourself to us fully and finally and completely and either expressly or by implication. Give us all that we need to make wise, confident, bold, not fearful decisions based upon your word and the wisdom you impart to us through your word through the guidance of others, through prayer, through meditation, all of those things, Father. Make us confident and bold decision makers um, that really just frees us up to live the Christian life more joyfully as opposed to fearfully or in an anxious way. Use this class in a small way to, to do that, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.